Uh, it's my privilege and honor this morning to be with you to worship together and to look together into the Word of God. Uh, we're wrapping up uh, the Epistle of Jude, uh, and so uh, if you're able, I'd ask you to stand as we read this closing passage. Jude writes, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is those who cause divisions. I'm sorry. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. You may be seated and join me in prayer. Our Father, as we come this morning, uh, we thank you that you are a self-revealing God, uh, that you have revealed yourself in your world and in your word. And so we pray this morning that as we look at this, this portion of your word, uh, that you would reveal yourself to us. Uh, would you come and be present with us? We ask that by your spirit, you would capture our mind's attention and, and our heart's affection uh, as we seek to understand and to apply the things that we hear today. In Christ's name we ask. Uh, the church is, and always will be, under attack. Uh, those attacks take the form of assault from without, uh, like our cancel culture uh, contemporaries, uh, but they also take the, the form of decay uh, within the church, uh, with false teachers who masquerade as if they are bringing you the truth of the scriptures, when in fact they're dealing with heresy. And this is why the church on earth is sometimes called the church militant, uh, because God's soldiers, the soldiers of Christ, uh, will be fighting against these outer and inner uh, attacks uh, throughout the age until Christ comes again. Uh, Jude has been emphatic uh, in his epistle uh, about the dangers of the false teachers, as we've seen. Uh, he, he calls them ungodly, he calls them perverters of truth, he calls them committed to sensuality, uh, and those are the minor, milder criticisms. Uh, the rest of the chapter, from verses 5 to 16, uh, is just a litany of accusations and evocative metaphors uh, to ensure uh, that their condemnation will come. And then in verse 17, there's a great contrast uh, as Jude begins to ad address the church directly. Um, and he, he does this by 
issuing calls to action, uh, in verse 17, it begins with this contrast, but you. Uh, and then in verse 20, he gives that same contrast again, but you. Uh, and then in verse 24, he begins now to him. So you can think of it in this way. And if you have the outline, this will probably help you. Uh, in verses 17 to 19, uh, we're looking out. Uh, that is, we're being aware of ungodly subversion. Uh, in verses 20 to 23, we're looking in. That is, being aware of spiritual needs, both our needs and uh, com the community's needs. Uh, and then in verses 24 and 25, uh, we're being aware of the preserving and majestic God. Uh, so let's begin uh, in verses 17 and 18, looking out. Uh, the first but you, but you, uh, be <laughs> begins uh, with these words, you must remember, and he's talking about, as he says in a few words later, the prediction of the apostles. The word remember is really an important biblical word. It occurs over 200 times. Now, most of those occurrences uh, have to do with what we would com commonly call recalling information, uh, that we remember things, uh, although the older I get, uh, the harder that is to do. Um, and, but it often also carries a different meaning, a broader meaning, uh, and that is not simply the recall of information, but remembering in order to find encouragement and hope. The revelation of God gives us courage, uh, encouragement. Uh, and let me go do a little aside here. Uh, the word encouragement means to put courage into. Uh, and so if I'm encouraging you, I'm trying to put courage into you so that you can carry out the assignments that God gives for you. Uh, or if you're trying to encourage me, you're trying to put courage into me uh, so that I can fulfill the assignments that God has for me. Uh, sometimes we make encouragement synonymous with affirmation, uh, and affirmation might be a part of encouragement, but encouragement goes much more deeper to the heart and to the mind. Uh, so it's not just saying, I hope things are going well you know, for you. Uh, but it's trying to give people courage to step into the ministries and arena that God has for them. Um, it's, it's intentionally bringing to mind, and we might even say meditating, uh, on the truths of God's word, not for information, but for encouragement and hope. Uh, and these are sprinkled all throughout the Bible. Uh, let me give you just two short ones. Uh, in Psalm 77, verses 1, 2, and 11, uh, the psalmist says this, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. And in the very next psalm, Psalm 78, verse 35, it says, they remembered that God was their rock, the most high God, their redeemer.
Uh, and so they're not praying for information. They're praying to be encouraged and, and to find hope. Uh, and that's the remember in verse 17 here. It's that kind of use of the word. You know, the church can be a dangerous place uh, in more ways than one. Uh, and, and Jude is saying we should not be surprised or lose heart when we see falsehood entering the church uh, because we were told that this would happen, that this is the way that it would be. Uh, nor should we be dismayed uh, when false teaching begins to arise uh, because God is never caught off guard uh, and, and he is able to handle when things uh, when people pervert his grace. Uh, and again, Jews says, the apostles said it would be this way. Uh, and so we shouldn't find it surprising or, or overly discouraging for us. Uh, when Paul was leaving the elders uh, in the book of Acts, he says in verse 20, uh, or chapter 20, verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the, fl the flock. So we need to be looking out and, and watching uh, to be aware uh, of false teachers when they arise. Their fruit is division. Uh, they are devoid of the spirit, though they would claim to possess the spirit. Uh, and they are uh, people who would say they are the truly spiritual ones when, in fact, their commitment is to the things of the world. So when you hear about these kind of problems in the church where people are perverting the truth or disseminating things that are not true. Uh, is, is that discouraging for you to hear those things? Jude would say, remember and find encouragement and hope in the scripture. Okay, the second thing we want to look at today is looking in, being aware of spiritual needs for ourselves uh, and for other people. And as we move into this, uh, I want you to go in your mind's eye back to your seventh grade English grammar class. Uh, now, for some of us, that is a long trip uh, to get from where we are back into seventh grade. For some, it's not as long. Uh, and if you're a young person and you're still listening, maybe you haven't even been to the seventh grade yet. Uh, and so the things that I'm going to talk about, if you're not aware of them, they would be like previews of coming attractions, like a movie trailer uh, of what you're going to see in seventh grade English. Okay, I want you to think about uh, your instruction in clauses. Your instruction in clauses. There are basically two kinds of clauses. There are independent clauses Clauses which can stand on their own, which have a subject and a verb. Uh, clauses which uh, could even function as a sentence. Um, and then there are subordinate clauses. Uh, and those are clauses that cannot stand alone uh, and are associated with the main clause in some way. Now, why is that important? <laughs> it's important because on a first reading uh, of what Jude says in, in these verses that we're looking at, 20 to 23, uh, you might think that he's giving a list of four things 
for uh, his readers to do. Uh, they are to build themselves up. Uh, they are to pray in the spirit. They are to keep themselves in the, God's love. And they're to wait for mercy. Okay? But that isn't correct. Uh, and it's your seventh grade English grammar which will help you here. What you have in this is not a list of four things that are to be done, but the one independent clause and three subordinate clauses. So the independent clause is keep yourselves in the love of God. So that's the one that can stand by itself. It could be a sentence by itself. It has a subject and a verb. Uh, but keeping yourself in the love of God how do you do that? How would a person keep themselves in the love of God? Well, the subordinate clauses tell us how we can do that. It's by building, by praying, uh, and by waiting. Uh, so let's consider uh, each one of those. The first one is building yourself up in your most holy faith. And the first thing to note about that one is that you have a responsibility to grow. Uh, so it's not like you come in to believe in Christ uh, and then you know you're going to heaven, so you just sit in the rocker and wait for that end time to come. Uh, you have a responsibility to grow. Uh, and the image here uh, is the building, laying a foundation and building on top of that foundation. Uh, you cannot keep yourself in the love of God if you're not developing in your relationship with him. Uh, the only way to confidently lay a foundation that will hold and build on it is to be regularly in the scriptures. You need to be hearing, like you are right now, uh, studying, learning, applying. The scriptures need to be a part uh, of your life. So if I asked you, when was the last time you were in the scriptures and what did you learn? Uh, what would your answer be? You need to keep yourself in the love of God by building yourself up in the faith. Uh, secondly, is by praying in the Holy Spirit. This is spirit-generated power and guidance in prayer with the promise of his abiding intercession for you. Isn't that a great statement? Uh, Spirit-generated power and guidance in prayer with the promise of his abiding intercession for you. Uh, I think it's a great statement, uh, but my life does not conform <laughs> to that statement. I think most Christians find prayer a struggle. Uh, and it's okay to admit that. God knows what's going on in your heart anyway. Uh, but we, we find ourselves struggling with it. You know, one of the benefits of being a minister in the PCA uh, is that occasionally you get to rub shoulders with well-known people in the church. Uh, people who, if I mention their names, most of you would, would know who they were. Um, I have asked them when I have had an opportunity, since most Christians seem to struggle with prayer, how do you keep a vital prayer life? Um, 
And none of them said, you know, I'm doing really well in that area. Uh, and so I can give you, you know, some pointers to help you move along. Uh, but contrarily, uh, what they said was, my prayer life really isn't what it ought to be. Uh, so if you struggle with prayer, you're in the great company of saints all over the world who are struggling with uh, prayer. Uh, and they're doing that same thing. But it's important that you keep up the struggle. The temptation would be just to give up and give in. Uh, but it's important that you remain in that struggle. And here's why. Here's what one author says. He says, an absence of prayer opens the door to idolatry because as we distance ourselves from God, we begin to look to other things as being more important than him and then begin to take our satisfaction and joy from them. Okay, that's something you might want to tuck away uh, and think about later on. Uh, so you keep yourself in the love of God by praying in the Spirit. And then thirdly, uh, is waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. The idea here uh, may be the mercy that will be on display when Christ comes the second time. His coming is, is called the blessed hope. Uh, and so looking forward to that future mercy-filled blessed hope can give us hope uh, for living in the situations that we are in from day to day. Uh, and note the Trinitarian nature of Jude's exhortation here. Uh, he talks about praying in the Holy Spirit. He talks about the love of God. He talks about the mercy uh, that can be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and verses 22 and 23 draw our attention away from ourselves and those three things that we should be focusing on uh, to our brothers and sisters in the family of God. So we're still looking in, but now we're looking into the community. We're not looking into our own hearts. People who have needs, uh, just as you have needs. Uh, the default setting of that attention is mercy, uh, which is appropriate, of course, for our church. Uh, but the, the, the default, the way that we think that we always fall back to, uh, is mercy. Um, as, as we have received mercy, so we are to be merciful, uh, even, as Jude says, showing mercy with fear for those who are in danger of being lost. Uh, Dr. Phil Riken, who is the president of Wheaton College, writes this. He said, sadly, we find that there is sometimes an ornery streak in Calvinism. But it seems to me that someone who understands the wonder of God's mercy would seek to become a living demonstration of it. So we need to be discerning with the Lord's grace uh, because you can't treat everyone in the community the same way. Uh, we need to be able to discern between the weak and the willful uh, because the weak uh, you treat with mercy and the willful uh, might take some exhortation with mercy, uh, but exhortation uh, in order to get them to move along the path. 
Uh, and so keep yourself in the love of God by giving merciful attention to his people as we wait for the mercy that will pres be present when Christ comes again. Okay, and then thirdly, uh, we want to be looking up, being aware of the preserving and majestic God. Uh, in the now to him, that begins in verse 24, this is the crescendo of the passage, uh, centering on this great doxology about the unique and wondrous God that we worship and serve. Uh, he's presented first as the preserver. In verse 21, he calls us to keep ourselves, uh, but he is the one uh, who is the great keeper of his people. And he keeps us so that we might experience his presence. Uh, and it says in the passage, with great joy. Uh, it's more like bubbling up and boiling over, uh, that kind of joy. Uh, he's presented, secondly, as the only God. There is no other one before him, no other one besides him. Uh, and this, these three little words, the only God, are kind of a summary of the heart of the first commandment, uh, that we're to have no other gods but the God. He's presented as the Savior through Christ Jesus our Lord. Who could have ever imagined such an amazing plan uh, that God's eternal desire would be for him to have a people for himself uh, when there was no need that he do that. Uh, and he presents us blameless in that presentation uh, because of the imputed righteousness of Christ to us. Uh, so we, we don't come in our own name and hope that we can gain these things, uh, but we, we come because of our union with Christ. Then he's presented as the sovereign. All glory, majesty, dominion, and authority belong to him. Uh, how often do we forget this? And so we become overwhelmed and overcome uh, by the issues of the world when we have a sovereign God who stands with us. Worthy of some reflection. Uh, and then finally, uh, he's the eternal one. He is before all time, now, and forever. So he's got it all covered uh, from the beginning that had no beginning and the end that has no end. Uh, God uh, is the eternal one over that. And this doxology springs from the heart of Job at the end of this letter. And, and this letter was not an easy letter to write, as Brian has, has pointed out to us in the last few weeks. Uh, this was a letter that was challenging. Uh, it was a letter that was accusatory. Uh, and yet, in spite of all those things, and in light of all those things, he still comes with a whole heart to God to bring this doxology uh, as his worship. Uh, here's another thought you can tuck away, and you may have heard this before, so I apologize if you have. Uh, and that is that theology should lead to doxology. Theology should lead to doxology. Uh, theology, or if you prefer, if you prefer doctrine, uh, is not an end in itself. 
in order to satisfy uh, our spiritual interests or our intellectual uh, interests. Uh, theology is a means, but a means to what? Well, it's a means to deepen our understanding as we go ab about fulfilling our chief end, uh, which is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And notice uh, what the Westminster Divines did with, with this first catechism question. It's not the chief ends, one being glorifying God and one being enjoying him forever, but it's the chief end. It's one thing, not, not multiple things. So the implication, I would think, would be that enjoying God is an essential part of glorifying him. And that's the way that we can put those together. Uh, one of the, uh, the people, I've never met this person, uh, unlike the other famous people I mentioned before, uh, one person who's had an impact on my life is John Piper, uh, and you may be familiar with that name uh, as well. Uh, and he said a lot of quotable things, but probably the one thing that has been most quoted uh, is this statement, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. The first time somebody told me that, I said, no, that, that, can't, that can't be right. <laughs> that can't be right. Uh, but the more I thought about it, it, it makes tremendous spiritual and logical sense. God gets, if, if it's true that I'm finding all of my satisfaction in God, then my life is going to be more pointing glory to him uh, than, it, than any other thing. So, uh, again, something to think about. Uh, if your theology never gets past the rational, that is, it never deeply touches your heart, uh, it never brings uh, affections uh, into your life in your relationship with God, uh, then you're robbing yourself of a gracious and available communion with him. Because as Jude says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Let's pray. Our Father, we're so thankful this morning for your word, for the opportunity to uh, speak it and to hear it and to think about it. Uh, we pray that uh, these would not just be words spoken to the air, uh, but by your spirit would you take and apply the things that we've looked at today. Thank you for your scriptures. In Christ's name we pray.